Okay, welcome back to Firewall. Uh, after a two-week hiatus, um, Bradley Tusk, I'm your host, and I am back. Uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, giving me a break. I uh, had some work travel and then some personal travel, um, and even though I don't like to ever believe that I need a break, uh, I think I probably did. So feel pretty good and think that the upside of it is I will be able to give you guys uh, better podcasts uh, going forward. Um, so uh, thanks for that. Uh, and Hugo, thank you for, for covering for me the last uh, last two weeks. Um, the other thing, kind of on a housekeeping note, is we're doing a listener survey. Um, and here's why. Um, we've got a lot of flexibility here, right? We don't have sponsors. We don't have ads. We don't have any obligations to anybody other than to ourselves and, and to you, the listeners. And so maybe the podcast is exactly what you want it to be and it's perfect as is, but maybe it's not, right? Maybe you want different types of guests, different types of topics, more firewall, less firewall, whatever it is, you know, we just want to know so that we can tailor what we're doing to, to, to meet your needs and, and make it interesting for you. So uh, we're putting a survey up uh, on the on the website. Hugo, what's the address people go to for it? Firewall.media backslash survey firewall.media backslash survey if uh any listeners actually go to that and fill out the um fill out the survey that will be awesome right and then um yeah so we'd, we'd love you to please if, if you don't mind fill it out and just give us some feedback uh we also set up a um email address for me bradley at firewall.media so if you don't want to do the survey or if you have further things that you want to share, just um, shoot me a note and uh, I'd love to see it. So cool. All right. That's enough, enough housekeeping. Hugo, how's it going? It's going well, Bradley. I'm impressed with the, just the tone and the pace of your voice. It's, it's, it's not a whole new Bradley, but it, but it's definitely a little different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's two things, honestly. So one is um, both having taken a, a, a solid week where I really did very little work um, Plus, you know, almost a week that I was in Europe and while I was working, it was, you know, just interesting and different. Um, and I'm also now six weeks away from losing the mayoral election. And it's it went from being the dominant emotion that I had at all times to now something that uh, I don't think about much. So, you know, some 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 recovery from a recent trauma combined to some change of scenery combined with. Uh, a, a little bit of rest, uh, I, I think, helped. What was your impression? Um, can you can you say where you were in Europe? I, I mean, I do. But... Yes, I, I was in I was in Athens for okay. some meetings. Um, and Athens is I, when I was there. They said it was seventeen percent vaccinated, um, and so mask wearing at the time. Now mask wearing in the U.S. has sort of stepped up again, but this was a couple of weeks right. ago, and so. I was, I was at the point where in New York, there really was no reason to wear a mask most of the time. And then all of a sudden in Greece, um, at least in the lobby of the hotel, anytime you were really in, in public, uh, you know, if you were in your own car or, or in a meeting, fine. But otherwise, you know, wore a mask. Although, so my hotel in Athens was directly across the street from the, the parliament. And there was this big square kind of right down from my room. And I'm sitting in there, it's kind of before dinner and doing some work because it's, it's sort of now normal business hours in the U.S. And I hear this really loud like chanting and noise. And I go out on my balcony and there's a protest. Uh, and I don't know what it's about because it's all Greek to me, right? So, but there are people who are very upset. 
And there's a couple thousand of them and it's growing and growing. And it turned out because basically everybody who was in their room ended up on the balcony trying to figure out what was going on and watch it. It was an anti-vaxxer protest. Um, And so that sentiment, you know, I've only been out of the country once in the last 16, 17 months. But the one place I went to, I saw a huge rally with thousands of people and riot police and media and all this stuff. Um, on the same shit we're dealing with here. So what does that what does that make you think? Like that 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 uh, I mean this this sort of media fixation on like how screwed up America is 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 kind of wrong headed. Like basically there's there's something about this kind of COVID moment that's inspiring similar emotions kind of around the world. Yeah, because look, while we're obviously very U.S. focused, and I think Europe likes the narrative that, hey, the U.S. is so screwed up because it makes them feel better about themselves. I mean, the, the reality is there is massive kind of civil unrest and disagreement and dissension, you know, across the globe. The places you don't see it are, are totalitarian states where people don't have the, the right to express themselves. Um, and so, you know, that, that loss of faith in institutions since call it the 1960s, whether it's in the government, the media, Wall Street, uh, universities, the military, the church, whatever you want to call it, um, is not a U.S. phenomenon. It's, it's a global phenomenon. And so at this point, um, people are, I think, incredibly divided. The Internet sort of heightens those divisions even more so. And so the fact that you've got these same issues in Greece or Ghana or I'm trying to think of another country that starts with, uh, with a G, but, you know, um, Georgia, Georgia, there you go. Um, not surprised. What else struck you about Greece? Was there besides being there for work and the COVID thing or maybe there were other COVID? I'd, I'd never been there before. So that was that was, you know, number one, it was sort of a cool thing for me Two, I, I took about a full day to do just sightseeing. So, I, you know, the Acropolis is incredible. Now it's a it was really fucking hot, and it was an, I was wearing the wrong shoes, and it was an incredibly crowded. What kind of shoes do you need to wear to, to, to go to the Acropolis? Sneakers. You should wear sneakers. Okay. What did what, what you wear? I had on whatever, like, sort of casual dress shoes I was wearing for meetings, you know? Oh, okay. And it was those shoes that when I went to that party, you made such a big deal I, about. I made a big deal about your shoes? You did. You, you and your wife were both very excited about it. Because they were so cool and, and, and exciting? Well, I don't know if they were cool or if they were just um, a real departure. So, Got it. They didn't make a long-term impression on me. Uh, well, I, if, if you remember, the, what I said to you was they were like a form of – so Harper hates loafers of all kind. But, you know, loafers are like kind of easy and comfortable to wear sometimes. And so I basically tried to find a pair that I thought maybe she would object to less. Right. And that's what I bought here. Um, it didn't work. She dislikes them, but I, I've been wearing them anyway. And I wore them to the Acropolis and it was the wrong thing to wear. Um, but what, we, should, we should do an episode on the right shoes to wear to the Acropolis. Wear to the Acropolis. Yeah. But, you know, there's been so many podcasts on that already. Good. I feel like we'd we be late. Kind yeah. of repeating the work that's already been done. Um, yeah. But look, I mean, it's incredible that that some of these notions, by the way, and things that both do and don't work. So like, you know, 2,500 years ago, they were figuring out what democracy is. And then, you know, even though I didn't really agree with the the protest, people protesting the vaccine in front of the parliament in Greece and exercising their constitutional right to do so is a very clear manifestation of democracy, right? So in some ways, what they came up with was really brilliant and still really works. And in other ways, what they came up with doesn't really work at all. And of course, one of the reasons that it worked for them 
is it was democracy, but limited to a very small section of property owning white yeah, guys. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, when you open up the world and, and try to treat everyone equally, it, it becomes, uh, there's a lot more stakeholders and a lot more dissension and division. And so, uh, you know, the Greeks sort of did it, sort of didn't, I guess. But, uh, but either way, if you've never been to Athens and you have an excuse to go, you know, I don't think you need more than two days in Athens, but it, it, there are some really cool stuff. Now, you um, you had some thoughts about the Olympics based on what you saw, because we were we were we were chatting about the Olympics before. Um, and and did you see some of the the old Olympic sites from the two thousand four? I did, I did. I, I saw both where they had the original original okay. Olympics, you know, in, in the Grecian era. And then uh, the site of the 1896 Olympics, which are the first modern Olympics. And then Greece hosted the Olympics in 2004 and saw some of the facilities for that. Why um, did you go see them? Are they, are, they, are they ruins? I, I've heard a lot of them are ruins. Um, uh, one of them, two, the, the super ancient one and the 1896 one, for the Acropolis, I, we hired a guide who kind of took us around. So she pointed, the, she walked us past one of them, pointed out the other one. And then the 2004 is just this very big stadium and complex that uh, on the way to the meetings that I was driving to each day, uh, we would pass right. it. Now, did you have, have you been I mean, not to shift too too harshly from from uh, Athens to, to the broader subject of the Olympics? Well, I think the Olympics is a good segue. You know, if, if you're going to talk of the Olympics and you had a city conversation first, Athens would be about as good as you're going to get. That's a good point. Um, did, did you did you have you watched any Olympics? A, a little bit. Not not a lot. Um, and, and the question is that I've been asking, why, and is it just me that I've been busy, distracted, whatever it is, or, or are people just not that into it? I have to say, I don't get the sense that people are that into it. So for example, you and I are on a group text with, I don't know, six or seven other people, uh, about the Knicks and, and basketball, right? I think I might've left that group chat. I, there was, the volume was too heavy for me. It had subsided for a while and then, uh, NBA free agency started today. So it picked back up today, last night and today. And you know, a group of very, very big sports fans of people who have every streaming service and type of technology imaginable and, and are old enough to have flexibility in their schedule. If they really wanted to watch an Olympic event, they could clearly figure it out. Um, and yet we're talking about the Knicks not extending Frank Nicotina's contract. The Olympics hasn't come up once uh, in the entire thing. So I'm not, I'm not seeing So the chat more into Frank Nilakina than into Simone Biles. You know, the only thing that has come up is Simone Biles. And weirdly, a few people who I wouldn't have expected to be critical of her um, have been in private conversation. And so I have found myself defending Simone Biles a little bit. But other than defending Simone Biles, I couldn't tell you if like the Olympic basketball has started or not yet, um, how the U.S. is doing. And the worst thing is, uh, this morning when I was going through the New York Post, I, I did look at the page with the medal count. We're ahead. That's great. But then I kind of had a very honest thought, which was, if you told me we'd be dead last on this chart, but the Mets would make the playoffs, I would take that in a fucking Yeah, heartbeat. yeah. Well, of course. I mean, I mean that's the problem with the Olympics, right? It, it's 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 just it's too big to even think about, right? I I, I don't. You, you probably don't know this because the game was at four o'clock this morning. Um, but, you know, the United States women's soccer team lost um, to Canada in the semifinals, which was um, kind of, I mean, kind of a big blow. But also they lost in, in sort of the worst way, like the, the um, there was a sort of questionable penalty 
Uh, so it was a one nothing loss on a penalty kick on a on a. I mean, I, I don't know if it was a bad call or not. I, I don't I don't really know enough about it, but I it definitely looked like a regular soccer play. You think it was anti-American uh, bias, kind of like the old chairman like giving you a three point seven? I don't think that, but it was it was definitely kind of a dispiriting. It's like it's like I love the game of soccer, but then you see stuff like that, and you see entire games decided. You know, it's it's sort of like watching an NBA basketball game where they're just calling fouls all the time at the end of the game, and it's just like you're like, is this yeah, really how it's supposed to go? You know, I guess. So here's the question: on the if if you wanted to come up with some excuses for the Olympics, it's in Tokyo, and I know they're trying to sort of adjust event timing to work for the U.S. TV market, but still, it's really far away, right? And it's a totally different number one. Number two, it's off cycle we're still coming out of the global pandemic that's getting worse again. So maybe by the time you get back to Paris in 2024, or let's call it LA in 2028, um, interest returns, or maybe um, this is the beginning of the end because you already have a situation where fewer and fewer cities are bidding to win the Olympics simply because the ROI isn't there. The amount of money you have to invest in infrastructure and oftentimes infrastructure that you're never going to use again, you know, rowing thing, a velodrome, you know, we're not talking about subways and buses and schools. Um, it's just not really worth uh, the money uh, and public sentiment has turned against it. Uh, I think for the Winter Olympics coming up next year, which I think are in Beijing, uh, the IOC had to basically beg the Chinese to take it. Um, so you may have a point where cities don't want it, viewers don't really care. Um, and it's not that the Olympics won't exist, but it will have to kind of reconstitute itself in a way that becomes economically viable. It feels like the the Olympics are just the most inefficient thing imaginable. Like, talk about a bundle, right? You take a bunch of popular things, you know, basketball, gymnastics, track and field is pretty pretty popular, and then you just like literally lump in every other imaginable thing. I mean, there are so many. Do you know that there's like a a Beach team handball event, beach handball, beach team handball. What is the wall? What is the ball? Was there a wall? Where I don't know. I didn't see it. I, the only thing, the reason I heard about it was because there was some controversy about like the uniforms in it, you know, like whether the women had to wear bikini bottoms. Although I can't remember if that was beach volleyball, but the point was there's like beach team handball. Like who, who just yeah. naturally plays that? Like, oh my God, like I'm in a, I'm in a, you know, I do on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But <laughs> Bradley, Bradley is a big, a, a, a big sports guy. He plays everything. Um, anyway, but I just think of like, like, like the bundle is a thing that doesn't, you know, it's, it's it, the internet was like created to unbundle things, right? So you didn't have to take what you don't want with what you do want. You know, you can just have what you want. Well, so what if you instead had, and I, I guess there's a, you know, if you didn't want the, to know the results and you wanted to watch it later. But right now, we all watch TV shows at our own convenience, right? right? You either binge a, a streaming show or even if it's a show that comes out once a week, at whatever point we get to it, we watch a couple of episodes or whatever it is, and, and, and that's fine. What if there was sort of an, a, a, a website that NBC or whoever had that said, here's every sport. You decide what you're interested in watching. Click here and it will play for you. And it may be something that happened 48 hours ago, 24 hours ago, live. But rather than this bundling thing where you're asking people to just like check out, you know, the 100 meter freestyle relay and swimming or, you know, the vaulting and gymnastics or stuff. If you're not into that stuff, um, just let people have a total a la carte menu. 
choose what they want. It is possible that some sports eventually will get so low ratings uh, that it would argue to not keep them at the Olympics altogether. Um, but I, I think you've got to reimagine how you provide the content um, to the public because the way they're doing it now, which is basically the way they did it in like 1984, uh, is not working. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. But I, I, the thing is, I think we know what the answer to those that's, that, that is, right? We know that people are not watching dressage in just gigantic numbers. So, like, there's just a whole bunch of... A bunch of things. It's huge in Belgium, though. <laughs> I guess in Belgium, but, like, NBC doesn't pay $1.2 billion to broadcast things in Belgium, you know what I mean? It, this is this actually is kind of a good segue into, into something that you texted me about that you wanted to talk about, which is... Um, you sent me that uh, story about the tragic shooting in um, outside a funeral home in Indianapolis where a four-year-old girl was injured and I, I think another person was killed. Um, you, you sort of developed this kind of elaborate series of questions about, uh, uh, about that event uh, or based on that event. Could, could you tell the listeners a little bit about what, uh, you know, kind of where that was going? I'm going to just, I'm just going to read this because it's, both, I think, interesting and obviously somewhere between a little and a lot crazy. Um, but I, I think if I read it, it kind of sets the, the baseline for what the conversation is, and, and then we can go through it. So the impetus for this is there was a shooting outside of a funeral home in Indianapolis. And, and look, this is not going to be another rant around if we only had mobile voting, then you could have real gun laws and all of that. It, 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 there was really nothing extraordinary about it other than the fact that you can have a mass shooting and it's no longer seen as extraordinary. Um, but, but here's the question. And I'll just read it, which is it raises the question of whether or not we're just not far along enough on the evolutionary scale to avoid shit like this. Humans have only been around in this form, according to what I read in Sapiens, for 50,000 years. That's nothing. We've evolved quickly. And on one hand, we're conscious enough to know that shootings are bad and that guns shouldn't be so available or that climate change is real and we need to deal with it. On the other hand, we're not evolved enough to universally agree with this and act on it, so both topics get lots of talk and little action. So here's my question. If we last another 50,000 years or 500,000 years or 5 million years, do humans evolve to a point where we don't have this cognitive dissonance between what's right and what we want? Or if you're religious, could you see it as did God deliberately create people to have this constant struggle rather than just knowing what's right and automatically acting on it without a second thought? And does the fact that we're so conflicted mean that there's more likely a God or just that we're not that evolved at all? And if humans end up making ourselves extinct, it, is that even inherently bad or is that just the course of nature? Uh, and are the people who are trying to fix climate change, are they doing it because extending humanity really matters to them or because it makes them feel good about themselves? And to that point, is there any such thing as an altruistic act at all? Um, so, you know, it, it kind of takes a, a weird path from a, sh a shooting in Indianapolis. But, but it seems to me more that just, Human beings are really interesting, right? In that we are both extremely capable and extremely incapable, extremely civilized and extremely uncivilized. Um, and, and we're balancing all of this both as individuals and collectively as a society um, in a way that is not easy to do. And, and the question is, is this just where we are in this evolutionary point in time? And at some point, meaningful point in the future, we will be different because our consciences and our, our thinking will have evolved so much? Or is it this is the human, right? It's, we've got opposable thumbs, uh, you know, bigger brains, uh, but at the same time are constantly locked in this, in this struggle between what we should do and what we want to do. And the, the real quintessential essence of being human 
is to have that struggle. Um, so that that was the question I've really been wondering about. Well, what do you think? What do I think? Oh, my God, Bradley. I mean, this is such a um, I, first of all, I feel like I might be back in my um, my freshman dorm um, late at night, like having some major philosophical uh, discussion. But maybe that's a good thing. Um, look, I, I guess a, a short answer would, from my perspective, and then I, I, I actually want to hear you to answer these questions is that. The, the evolutionary move, the positive sort of optimistic outlook is that our conception of our self-interest broadens as we evolve, right? So we see, we actually see in the, say, the survival of the human race, like our own, like self-interest in that, which, which I mean, there is self-interest in that, right? I mean, our, our, we are, we are built to, to procreate, to, to, for our genes to be, you know, um, put into the future, um, like that's not we we are not programmed to 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 accept the demise of our of of the human race, um, but the problem is our short term interests often get in the way of that. You know, like the fact that we need a hand. So, let's say there was some. Let take I don't know, the wombat. I'm just making up any any animal the wombat. species. A species that you have no particular thoughts about one way or another. I know you have a lot of thoughts about the wombat, but yes, go ahead. If the wombat existed for a couple of million, Earth is five billion years old, right? If the wombat existed for a couple of million years, and then it made certain choices in its behavior that led to its extinction, we would be like, all right, that's the way nature goes, right? Are we sure it's any different for humans? It's not good for us. I get that part. But but ultimately, you know, maybe this is just, it, we're sort of this blip in, in the history of the Earth and on the evolutionary scale, and we kind of evolved to a point where we actually put ourselves out of business completely. Well, I think that probably is what is the case is and what's going to happen. But the, the, the question then is like in our in our relatively brief lifespans, like does any of that actually matter? Right. You know, and we have to we have to get up and, and make decisions that make ourselves feel decent, that make us feel like we're contributing towards something uh, beyond our own, you know, our own self-satisfaction, you know, like like. So whether whether the human race is doomed, whether the world ends tomorrow or, you know, 100,000 years from now, um, we still are going to act kind of the same way. Right. Yeah. Well, especially if you say that the inherent conflict is there are things that make sense for collective action and there are things that individuals want. So you take climate change. Right. We understand that the path we're taking will ultimately destroy humanity. By the way, it's not destroying the Earth. The Earth will be just fine. It just won't be habitable for human beings, right? Well, it may not be um, habitable and, for a lot of other things on the earth either. So that's like, you know. Understood. But the, but the point is we're, we're, I mean, I think part of the problem with the climate change movement is the messaging is wrong, right? It's a lot of rallying people and, and asking people to, to make sacrifices on behalf of this in, intangible thing called the earth or, you know, not intangible, but 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 not living in some ways. Um, whereas it's really not about the earth. It's, it's about right. us. And or are we going to be able to be there? So, yeah. So I, 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 I think fundamentally we've got, but, you know, if you think about it as an individual, you know, it's very easy for you or me who are, you know, these incredibly privileged people kind of living at the height of, of what society offers people to say, oh, yes, you know, we should have a lower carbon footprint. And here are the 12 things that I did to, you know, act locally and whatever. Right. But guess what? I'm sitting in my apartment. Uh, I'm on a laptop. It's plugged in. My uh, phone is plugged in. The air conditioning is on. Um, I have a, no, it's an electric car, but like, you know, I still do all of the things 
of modern conveniences that created most of the problems around climate change. And I don't want to give them up. And it seems even harder to ask people in India or China who finally have access to these basic comforts that we take for granted that they can't have. Now, the goal, obviously, is to create electric cars and things that can both give people what they want without causing the, the same kind of damage to the environment. Um, but, but nonetheless, there is just this inherent tension between what we want for ourselves and our families and our day-to-day -day life and what, in a completely collective way, we would choose to do. Uh, guns, just to take back to the original example, right? So again, if you don't believe guns should really be legal or accessible like I do, fairly easy, right? But kind of where we started this conversation, which is the, the shooting in Indianapolis outside of a funeral home, most gun owners, I would imagine, in fact, I'm sure, wouldn't say, oh, great. They would say, that's terrible. A four-year-old girl died. Innocent people died. You know, that should never happen. I think she's not dead, right? She's just critically injured. But yes, she got shot. Um, but at the same time, you said to them, okay, then give up your gun. They might say, I need to protect my family, or I use this for hunting, or whatever it is, meaning their individual interests conflict with the broader societal interest, right? And to me, that's like the ultimate struggle of humanity. We're smart enough and conscious enough to know what we should do, but at the same time, we are kind of selfish and self-focused enough um, that what we should do and what we want to do aren't always the same thing. And having to choose between those two things is the great moral question uh, of humanity. We could be so evolved or have evolved in a different way where there's no separation whatsoever between the moral choice and your personal choice, right? right? But that's not how human beings have evolved. And so I guess the real question is, are we just on the path to that and we'll be much better at all this shit in 500,000 years? Or is this the inherent nature of people? And if you do believe in God, like I do, um, did God do it this way deliberately because it makes it really interesting? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So you believe in a God who does things because they're interesting? Is that your belief in God? Perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. They're not. They're not driven by some sort of higher belief or 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 like sort of faith in the ultimate good, but in a kind of like like God is sort of a game master or like a like. If you believe in an omniscient, omnipotent God, which which I actually okay. do, right, and then that may be at odds with a lot of our listeners, but I I do, um, then you would say God clearly could have created people so that we wouldn't create climate change or shoot each other or anything right. else, right? And yet God chose to have us evolve, uh, under my view of the world, in this direction, which doesn't mean we won't continue to evolve. But at this moment, you know, you could have avoided the situation of humans having to make difficult moral choices that where they have to sacrifice their personal self-interest in, in, in for the greater whole. Um, and God, if you believe God's omnipotent omniscient, God saw this and chose to still have it happen this way anyway. And again, maybe, you know, if, 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 if you believe in the multiverse and that timelines are really fluid, you know, what's another million years? Nothing. And so therefore, uh, we're just sort of at the, a, a, fix, a, a point in time on the evolutionary scale that will really change. But I, I guess what struck me when I read the article about uh, Indianapolis is just, you know, we, we spent a lot of time um, trying to kind of corral society to do the things that we believe are moral. And I wonder if we spend enough time asking ourselves, you know, what are the, what's the inherent nature of people? What are their limitations? What can and can't we realistically expect them to do? 
and by saying, well, this is right, and therefore everyone should do it, you know, you, you can identify the right issues, and you can sound very pure and noble and moral and, and self-righteous. Um, but if that's not realistic with how human beings function, um, it doesn't really mean anything, right? So, so I guess the question is, are, are we asking the wrong questions of people when we're trying to change laws and norms um, to have a better society? Because we're expecting things of people that they're not capable of doing. They haven't evolved to that point yet. Um, I don't know that we think about our evolutionary point in time when we ask these questions. And I think maybe we should. Well, yeah, I mean, you're asking a good question, too, in the sense of, like, have we really evolved at all, right? Like, is, is you know, are we just able to, because of, of because of technology, because of, because of the, the, the structures built into society, like it, it, it makes it more difficult for us to just be these total free agents out there, um, you know, like just pursuing our, our own needs constantly. Um, and yet those, that, that kind of imp those impulses do flare up occasionally, you know, a guy gets upset in a parking lot um, and feels threatened or feels the need to seek vengeance on somebody for something um, and starts, you know, starts shooting at, you know, four-year-old girls. And there's no question that in some ways we have evolved morally, right? People have more rights, more freedoms, more protections uh, now than they had at, at any other point in human history. There's more democracy. There, there's more basic human rights. So on one hand, there's progress. On the other hand, we know that there are serious genocidal actions happening in places like Myanmar or China, and, and we don't really... We haven't evolved to the point yet where we say, regardless of the geopolitical consequences, um, genocide is simply so wrong that we will pay any price necessary to avoid it. Uh, we're not willing to do that. So we kind of look the other way with the Uyghurs or the Rohingya or, or whoever you want to you want to point to, um, because, you know, China owns, you know, a vast amount of U.S. debt and has a lot of military power and has a lot of trade power. And so as a result... You know, we don't really bother them about it too much. So, you know, you could look at all of these things from both perspectives. You could say, look at all of the ways that governments and courts and others have granted more and more people rights and equality over the last 200 years or something like that. It's a lot of progress in a relatively short period of time. Or you could say um, the, the worst thing that could happen, which is just pure genocide, does happen we know it, um, and yet our own self-interest ultimately will stop us from doing anything about it, just like we do things that we know, uh, you know, have emissions and a carbon footprint simply because we pick the convenience or gun owners say, yes, I understand that the existence of this thing uh, hurts a lot of innocent people, but I still want it or need it for these reasons. Um, and so to, to, to me, it, it all gets back to that same point where I think we have evolved, but I don't think we've evolved as much as we think we have. And the, the two big questions are, one, should we be more mindful of that as we try to think about dealing with issues and problems and norms and everything else? And then second, you know, and there's no way to know the answer to this question because we'll be long dead, but, you know, what happens in 500,000 years? You know, ha have our consciousness evolved? Look, maybe the answer is, we're exactly the same people, but we can fly. I don't fucking know. Or maybe we're literally exactly the same people. But I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that we could continue to evolve from an intellectual moral standpoint. Right. Well, I mean, the, the you know, one to take one piece of this, which is climate change, you know, we're kind of 
approaching some moment, you know, where we are suffering direct effects, not just in a kind of like, oh, there are wildfires in the, the West or there are rising sea levels in, you know, uh, in all these coastal areas or, or there's, you know, any number of effects. But like we're beginning to contemplate the moment where like our children and certainly our grandchildren face the prospect of living in a in a brutal, inhospitable world. Right. I mean, that that is a that is a distinct possibility at this point. Um, so we now have a different like incentive. Like when you look at your kids, you think like, well, I don't want them to spend the last decade of their life, like wandering the earth in search of water and, and, you know, things to eat. Um, so I do need to make some changes. I do need to not just like throw the air conditioner on and, you know, take my, my flight to, you know, to, you know, like Hawaii next week or whatever it is. And though, you know, we're at that, we are, I think pretty close to that moment where these kinds of like massive impacts on life as we know it are becoming close to unavoidable. Look, maybe generation, maybe that it will hit that point where there really is no choice, or maybe generationally, younger people very consciously do make choices to sacrifice kind of personal convenience and benefit for the greater good, which, by the way, would show that we do evolve. Um, but like, you know, you or I, and maybe I should be calling you out here specifically, but, you know, we talk a good game on all of this stuff, but like... I don't think that my behavior really is in any way. I'm not making any sacrifices to try to help the environment. Whatever, because I put stuff in the recycling bin, that's nothing. So I I think what the distinction between knowing what we should do and what we actually will do um, is still a very significant gap. Well, it's it's, it's interesting. I, I was reading the big Jane Mayer story in the New Yorker this week, which I'm sure you will not read um, about uh, you know about Trump's sort of backers, you know, going around the uh, country trying to trying to uh, sniff out uh, voter fraud, et cetera. Is it a story that just lays out a lot of facts and lets you reach your own conclusions or is it a story? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. But there was there was one good quote in there, which I'm sure has gotten circulated a lot, but I hadn't heard it before, which somebody was uh, an expert um, was was talking about, you know, why why aren't there like lots of examples of uh, voter fraud out there, you know, sort of individual voter fraud. He said it's the same reason that like, you know, counterfeiters don't like make pennies, you know, because, you know, if if you're just Joe Blow out there, like it's not like, you know, sending in seven votes from uh, the same, you know, address or whatever is going to like tip an election. Like it just the individual agency in this is zero. Yeah. So, um it, but it's like that with climate change too, right? So, so the you could stop using your air conditioner right now, never turn it on again. You could um, consolidate all your vast real estate holdings into like a one room apartment, um, you know, in in you know in your neighborhood, and do all of these things. And the net effect of that on the well being of the planet Earth would be literally zero. Um, so why should you? Okay, so well then, so then there's there's two reasons why, and just just to clarify to the listeners, I do not have no, national real estate I, holdings. I, I say- <laughs> in, in, in part, in part, to try to assuage some of my guilt about my carbon footprint. So yeah, that's true, right? So then there's two reasons why, arguably, you would still do it. One would be you would say, yes, my individual choices here won't actually impact climate change. But this has to happen at scale in order to impact climate change, and therefore someone's got to take a stand and get going, right? That's and I think 
we don't make those sacrifices, but I do see, you know, the potential for that in, in our kids. Um, but number two would just be, I do these things because it makes me feel better about myself and my place in the world. And regardless of whether I'm actually having an underlying impact on climate change or guns or whatever it is, um, everyone's goal, I think, is to maximize their happiness, their contentment, their fulfillment, you know, to feel as good as they can emotionally uh, at all times. And if doing, you know, making certain sacrifices really makes you feel good about who you are, then the relative benefit to you uh, is more significant than the relative benefit of having, you know, extra air conditioning, right? And is that a moral choice or is that just a selfish personal choice where you're saying like, I get more from A than I do from B, so I'm going to go with whatever's behind door number A or door letter A. Okay, I want to. I, we, we've we've uh, uh, probably gone on long enough, but I, I do want to mention an article that that uh, you and I were talking about, and that um, our our good friend Howard Wolfson sent to both of us. Um, it, it's it's a ProPublica article. Is it ProPublica, by the way, or ProPublica? I never understood that, but um, in any case, ProPublica, ProPublica um, did this terrific story by Alex McGillis. I think that's how you pronounce his name, Alex McKillis. Um, about uh, this, I was trying. I was. I wanted to make a joke that sort of played on the publica <laughs> thing, but I couldn't figure out how to quickly make McGinnis, <laughs> you know, fit fit into that. <laughs> it doesn't sound right, does it? Um, this article is about the sort of crime surge in Philadelphia, um, and it it was pretty fascinating. And and. and Bradley, maybe I'll ask you to, to say a few words about it, but I, I, I guess I just want to direct listeners' attention to it as much as anything because um, it, it's a it's a pretty outstanding piece of journalism in it. It's in its in the way it took both uh, a very sort of uh, uh, detailed personal uh, story and then added this great dimension of uh, of various public sector policy, governmental uh, stuff. It, it really operated at a number of different. Um, different levels simultaneously. Bradley, I wanted to say, I, I know you read it. I'm curious what, what your thoughts are. Howard usually sends us really good stuff. And this was a, a particularly, uh, particularly good one. It was a very thoughtful piece. I read most of it. It was a very long piece. <laughs> um, but, but look, what I liked about it, and I think that the journalism was really, really good here, which was, you know, within the world of, of crime right now, there are two different views and trends um, and the assumption is that they are just inherently mutually exclusive. And I'm not sure that's true, right? So, you know, it, they use the DA race in Philadelphia as the kind of way to tell the story of someone who's a super reformer and really wants to minimize prosecutions and law enforcement and someone who is much more of a traditional law enforcement type DA who wants to put people in jail. And, and you know, right now we live in a world where we just glorify the view that we like and demonize the view that we don't like. Um, but both of them have a lot to say. And I think the, the, the most kind of important, in some ways, um, examples that they tell the story of a family where uh, they lived in a dangerous neighborhood in Philly. The mom, the, the son was two or three at the time. The mom moves them out uh, into another neighborhood. And I think they even had to live in a shelter first because she didn't have the money to first move into that neighborhood. Um, ultimately ends up in in a different environment but when the kid is 20 he is gets shot uh after a dispute at the mall and killed and this mom who had been very very pro kind of criminal justice reform you know had to basically 
grapple with the idea of on one hand, if there had been tougher law enforcement um, and less bail reform and things like that, the people who shot her son may never have been on the street or had a gun in the first place. Um, on the other hand, uh, there is, you know, both a, a tremendous amount of discrimination um, in the way that we arrest people, in the way that we sentence people, uh, and everything else. Um, and there are a lot of good ideas um, that don't necessarily involve handcuffs and guns um, that can reduce crime and violence that people are trying in different cities. And, and again, it, it gets back to the underlying point. If you insist on living in a world where everyone who agrees with you is great and everyone who disagrees with you is terrible, um, then you would just be on one side or the other, right? You're you're the New York Post and you want, you know, no bail and, or, you know, no bail reform and tougher laws at all times, or you're the New York Times and you think the police should be abolished and, and you know, all policing is inherently discriminatory. Um, when in, in reality, if you're willing to sort of stop being so um, simple and, and, and just think a little more, both sides have good points, right? There are certain crimes that are prosecuted that that shouldn't be, and that by not doing it, you will really make people's lives a lot easier and save a lot of money and not really see any more violence or crime as a result of it. So like marijuana, right? Um, and at the same time, there are other crimes where, you know, we have instituted in New York and Philly very lenient bail reform where people who commit very violent crimes are allowed to jail immediately and frequently will commit those crimes again. Um, and so it, it's just, it's not an all or nothing world. And I think what I appreciated about the story and why I was glad that Howard sent it to us it, is this was an article that I think recognized these are hard choices. Um, there's no right or single right or wrong answer. But, you know, if the only way we're going to get to the right place is if we're willing to accept that there's different approaches and you need a combination of all of them to work. Uh, and if you're all or nothing on one side or the other, you know, you may get likes and retweets, but you're not going to actually accomplish anything. Bradley, I think we're going to we're going to wrap it up here. Um, I want to I want to ask you to do this, but would you put in another plug for our survey? Yeah. So uh, for those of you who aren't listening 45 minutes ago, <laughs> it's a long podcast. Um, we are doing a listener survey so that uh, we can just better understand what you guys like, what you don't like, what you want more of, what you want less of. We've got a lot of flexibility around here as to what we do with the podcast. So if there's any way that you could please take two minutes and fill it out, it would really help us deliver a better product to you. Uh, and Hugo, remind the audience again where they can find the survey. Yeah, of course, Bradley. That um, that URL for the survey is firewall.media backslash survey. Firewall.media backslash survey. There'll be some questions there and um, really be helpful to, to us if you take a few minutes and fill it out. Cool. Totally agree. All right. So thank you to everyone who listened. Hugo, thanks for doing this. Thanks for giving me uh, a break uh, when I did some traveling and I'm glad to be back. Good. I'll see you next week. All right. Bye.